Oh, oh, one more thing. Yes, Just One More Thing, a podcast about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about Prescription Murder, originally broadcast in 1968, starring Gene Barry, Catherine Justice, William Wyndham, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo, directed by Richard Irving, and written by the original guys, Richard Levinson and William Link. And on every episode of Just One More Thing, we're joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time around, it's fellow podcaster and British TV and sitcom expert, Tiltariza. But before we bring him on, RJ, tell us about this landmark episode. Gene Barry has the honor of playing the first rich homicidal jerk to think he's above the law as psychologist Dr. Ray Fleming, who bumps off his wife in order to make room for a patient-slash-actress with whom he's been having private sessions on the side. He thinks he has it all figured out, but wait, here's the first appearance of Lieutenant Columbo. The first cigar, the first coat, the first mention of Mrs. Columbo, the first just one more thing. And, of course, the first unraveling of a killer's far too elaborate plan. But, sadly, for Columbo and scores of victims to come, it's not the last. That's it. So, yes, in case you hadn't guessed from me saying the word first a million times, we are talking about the pilot, the original episode, the first one... This is it. This is where it all began. And welcome to our guest, Tilt. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I, I have to ask. Uh, we, we often do. People we haven't had on before. Uh, you're a fan of Columbo, right? Yes, yeah. And, and how did, how did you first come to it? I watched a lot it? of it. Yes. I don't remember how I first came to it because it seemed like a constant presence. See, that's the thing. That's the thing that fascinates me about that. That over... Uh, over in Britain, it was always, it's never really left the airways. Well, I did neat. a bit of checking. Ah. I uh, went to the online archive of the Guardian newspaper, checked their TV listing, searched for Colombo TV. In the 1980s, Colombo only seems to have been shown 29 times. Oh! That's give or the take. The entire decade. Um, might be some. Uh, yeah, so it sort of faded out a little in the 80s. Then towards the end of the 80s, it starts to ramp up. Okay. This is before it comes back with, what's his name, not chopping the guy's head off, yeah. Uh, that, which, that was, I, I, you, oh, know, Colum- you know the one Columbo with... goes um, to the guillotine. Oh, yes, 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 the, yes. the new, the new one. Yes. I believe it was called... It already starts in Europe, I believe it was called, yeah, Columbo doesn't chop the guy's head off. Right, yes. That's <laughs> no, a much better title. So, it, during, in 1988, it actually switched networks. ITV had been showing it through the 70s and 80s. It then goes to the BBC. So the BBC is showing 70s Columbo, okay. while ITV are showing all new, but not quite as good as it used to be Columbo. Right. here, It switched here, too, because um, in the 70s, it was NBC was part of the NBC Mystery Movie series, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, it was gone from, like, 79 or so up until, uh, was it 88, 89, when it came back, and it was on ABC. So it makes me wonder, like, the different networks over here had different distribution deals with the different networks over there, maybe. Like, I, I don't know how that worked. That's interesting that it also switched. Hmm, okay. No, but not only that, it was used in quite a prominent position. It was used in the summertime, which is a less competitive thing. But I've got a listing here, 7.15 on a Saturday night. Oh, okay. An old Columbo. Well, is, the it, 80s, is They're showing a mid-70s Columbo in the middle of the Saturday night schedule well is that is that a like a, a popular uh time frame 
for for shows because here usually uh, networks just dump their well it, in 1970s um, they weren't like CBS had like really good shows on like sitcoms like Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, Bob Newhart things like that. But after that, the seven the, the Saturday night block kind of became like a dumping ground for whatever they were trying to just burn off. No, Saturday night in British TV used to be the big battleground, even to the extent that they made a documentary about 10 years ago, Who Killed Saturday Night Television? Really? Here it was always kind of... Because Saturday Night's the big deal again. Oh, it is. is. Wasn't Saturday Night in the U.S. when we were kids? That was the variety show night, wasn't it? It was Fridays and Saturdays because the networks always figured, like, everybody's out, nobody's watching anything. So they put variety shows on and, yeah. Yeah. When I was looking at the listing of uh, of what was playing opposite the debut of Columbo, Lawrence Welk yes. was on ABC. And it's always hard to remember that Lawrence Welk at some point was on one of the big three networks. Yeah, because I'm just used to Lawrence Welk. They run, like, uh, when I was growing up, they would run it either in syndication or it would be um, on PBS or something like that. Right. They're trying to get money out of old people. Oh, hey, remember we used to run the, remember this nice little thing that used to be on? Uh, give us money and we'll give you a tote bag. That's that's the wonderful PBS thing. I, I have you a side. You want to know something horrible a... about British television, talking about variety shows. Up until 1978, BBC television did regularly, on a Saturday night show, Blackface Minstrel Show. Oh, dear. Yeah. Until 1978. That's when they canceled it. Oh, I think I think uh, some uh, local, uh, probably uh, CBS affiliates in the South were still doing that up until last year, I would guess. <laughs> I've, seen a, I've seen a sample Just of Just on their nightly news. So, yeah. And the... The tape stock is so bizarre to see people in blackface on that tape stock. Oh, because you think like, well, no, that'd be like some old timey film right. grade. Right, like, like oh no, it's it's on stock. it's on videotape. It was recent enough to be on videotape with yep. the lines and everything. Yeah. Ugh. So speaking of, let's, uh, let's get it started this way. But while talking about uh, what was else, what else was going on in the <laughs> slots, I have here. Uh, a listing of everything else that was on TV on the night that uh, Prescription Murder first Well, what, what was the actual, I think I just got the year. Uh, what was the actual uh, night that it uh, debuted? It was on, uh, it was February 20th, 1968, which was a Tuesday. Okay. So not an auspicious night. I well, think yeah, just a today. TV movie of the week kind of thing. That's all it was, yeah. yeah. The The lead-in was the Jerry Lewis show. Oh, d- oh, wait, 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 which one? The Variety Show? The Variety Show with oh! and... Oh my! Tony Randall and Nancy Ames. Oh my God, that thing—that's a huge. There's a whole big story behind that deal being a huge, <laughs> expensive disaster. But anyway, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like most Jerry Lewis projects, right? Uh, and uh, let's see, over on CBS, uh, there was a block of local programming. Oh, <laughs> okay, CBS. And then, Great. And then a show called Good Morning World, which I'm not familiar with. All right. And uh, over on ABC, uh, it takes a thief. Oh, followed by Felony Squad. Okay, so. I've heard of it takes a thief. I've never heard of Felony Squad, but that sounds like a fine quality show. And uh, followed by something called NYPD, which I guess is obviously a, a cop show. And then the Invaders. Oh, the Invaders! Oh, that's because ABC one. was really just firing on the half-hour cylinders. Oh wow! All right, good for them. But NBC. Laying, laying the groundwork, putting down the uh, the foundations for a 40-year murder television show legacy thing. I don't know how you yeah. put it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I feel like there's still a 
third place network at this point, but that's a that's a good uh, that's a good thing to get started on. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, we should probably talk about some of the background of this. And of course, uh, Tilt, we talked before the show. You've got a whole bunch of background on this, and the the the, the uh, basic points. Everybody kind of knows that. Well, if if you follow Columbo stuff, that sounded pretentious. Like, well, everybody knows the history of yeah. Anyway, this started out as a stage play. Prescription Murder did. This character originally a character for the stage, but uh, the character is actually from another play, right? Is that what you? The Bert Free guy. I'm having guy a bit or... of difficulty hearing you. So oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Throw well, it over to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you, you like you actually did some research, seeing some like archival footage of stuff. Uh, yeah. Recently, yes. Go ahead, please. About the origins you of this. You had an interesting. I think it was a tweet, wasn't it, about Columbo not being the protagonist? Yeah, it's it's an idea that right. uh, we kind of were throwing around recently, and John uh, wrote that up um, as part of the uh, the kind of summary and screen caps uh, for the last episode we we uh, did. Yeah. So it all starts in a short story for an Alfred Hitchcock magazine. The short story is called Dear Corpus Delicti, and that is entirely from the point of view of the murderer. Oh. So in this case, it's called Dr. Charles Law. There is an appearance right at the end by a cop called Lieutenant Fisher of the 45th Precinct. He has about three lines. He has nothing to do with breaking the crime. Huh. Okay. It is simply right at the end, the doctor becomes aware of some information that means that his perfect murder is falling to bits and as soon as the cop walks into his apartment it's going to be blown open the end yeah okay and 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 it's written by Levinson Link or just one of them at this point it's written story. by Levinson and Link okay yeah. both okay okay so that's the thing so that the, kind of put like the germ of the idea in there probably this first thing like well why don't we do it this way instead yeah yeah, well, I mean, the, as as the scenes break down, it starts with the murder pretty much as it is, um, ends up in the 1968 version. Okay. And then it's the doctor is coming home uh, to feign surprise at finding his wife dead. He's he's getting his, his head together. And the story ends there just because of a silly mistake, and it's a real gut punch of an ending. Where but that's it. There's no investigation... Okay. It's just a badly done murder. <laughs> which, I mean, that's... Which, which, it's kind of fascinating. It's just from that, this one sh little short story, and this them kind of messing with the structure of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just ended up becoming Columbo. Well, you can, you can them, yeah. certainly imagine them trying to shop this around and oh, yeah. needing, needing to have a hero in it at some point, someone who can be the character that shows up every week to, to shut down the killer. Well, I mean, but even, but first doing that, like, yeah, well, chopping around, actually deciding to turn it into a stage play, you need more well, than between just... between stage play, it goes to TV. And it's later the same year as the short story. It's 1960. It goes to Chevy Mystery Show. Okay. Oh, that, that's one the, um, with Bert Freed, right? Or that's, the one, yes. that's the one with Bert mm -hmm. Freed, which okay. is interesting because huge chunks of the dialogue is exactly the same as it will be in... 1968. But, oh, really? But Freed is... Yeah, the, I mean, scene for scene, apart, there's less of it. The whole thing about um, tried to kill, that's that's all gone. She's dead as soon as she hits the floor. Okay. There's none of that business. But yeah, it's the same story. 
It's not just like it vaguely resembles. It's the same story, different ending, and Columbo is a big, menacing guy with this weird, <laughs> well, yeah, no, Bert, merciless bonhomie. Yeah, Bert, Bert Fried is like the just especially he was like this just kind of big hulking brush cut kind of tough guy from Queens, pretty much. So I like I would love to see how he played that character. Like where? Okay, well, where did you where did you see it? Where did you I see it? I saw it at the Paley Center in Beverly Hills. Okay, so, let so me, I'll go tomorrow at my lunch break. At my lunch <laughs> break, I'll go check that out. The Paley Center, Beverly Hills. I'll take. I want to. Uh, I want to pull back because in one of our very first episodes, we were pitching uh, alternative actors to play a modern day Columbo, uh, and I I put out, and I'm suddenly blanking on the actor's name. Uh, Last King of Scotland. Uh, oh yes, dog. yes, yes. Uh, oh my God, why am I? Why am yeah. I? Why am I gone? Oh my God, you did. I For, know him. I Forrest said, Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker. Good Lord, how did I forget that? But yeah, as soon I as you pitched, said it, I, I had his face. I pitched, and... I pitched Forrest Whitaker, and one person in the comments lost his or her shit about <laughs> what are you talking about? But like, if you can imagine Bert Fried in that role, you can imagine Forrest Whitaker. In oh that role. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. my wife watched this, and she said. Vincent D'Onofrio must have seen this. Yeah, undoubtedly. She oh, said, Law and Order Criminal Tent is the Burt Fried Columbo. Oh, interesting. Does, do that, uh, does he do that Vince D'Onofrio thing where... Leaning in just, and squinting? He, you know, he just takes somebody's seat right next to somebody, so they're sitting shoulder well, to no, shoulder. His, his whole thing, he's like, a, he's like a guy at a party who's trying to persuade a teetotaler to have a drink. It's that level of aggressive, happy, wow. but angry. Y you know... You know that last series, The Flintstones, when Fred and Barney started to really resent each other? <laughs> that, that didn't really happen. But if it had, Fred <laughs> he's almost like going, Bally boy, to the guy. This, wow. He's, he's one of your dad's friends. And, it almost sounds like it's, it's like a Jackie Gleason interpretation of Columbo a little bit. Like the Ralph <laughs> yeah, Cramden, I mean, the Ralph Cramden Columbo. First couple of scenes, would be. Bert Fried's not really doing anything special. He's very matter-of-fact. But the second scene, he's being matter-of-fact after the doctors identified his wife's body. Yeah. And the doctor in this is, he's nervous about the thing. He's, he's regretful. He, when he sees the body, he's going, oh, God, oh, the really? on her throat. Yeah. He's, he's still the hero. He is still oh. the hero of the piece to a certain extent. And the narration, Walter Slezak's the presenter. And he, at one point he says, oh, Columbo's rather helpless. And it's like, Bertfried did not get that memo. There's just this sarcastic. <laughs> it was in the script. Joy. Too bad. Yeah. Okay. Which I mean, that's, but then that's this, really interesting oh. to picture like that in contrast to Peter Falk's performance, but also to think about Bing Crosby, who was the <laughs> studio's choice to play Columbo, trying to follow up in those footsteps. But the well, thing is, the footsteps he's following in is Thomas Mitchell. Oh right, right who played on stage, right? Yeah, played yes. on stage. Yeah. Um, in the stage directions, let me get to That's my... That's right, because you have the play. Columbo. You told us Columbo before the show, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I think the play is still in print, and you can get second-hand copies. Um, Columbo is described in the stage directions as lumbering and homely. Hmm. The day is warm, but he's wearing a dusty top coat and a battered felt hat. Oh, felt hat. Weird. I believe... Mitchell turned that into a whole thing of like leaving his hat, going to leave the room, and then coming back because to he'd... give an excuse to bring up something yeah. else. Ah, okay. But already it's he's he's becoming proper Columbo. There's a bit where he's talking about the fake burglary and saying, you know, he must have broken the window with a torch, 
all the time he's toying with the paperweight the guy really used. Ah, nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. So, that's a nice bit. But, but again, that's a slightly different ending. The confession, the murderer is, oh, I really love the girl. Oh. I can't go on without her kind of stuff. And it, it's when we get to 1968. It's, so it's this slow handover from the murderer to Columbo. Because at the end, I mean, Gene Barry's kind of slimy. Oh, he's terribleness. He's a total bastard. He is. <laughs> so, that, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I, yeah, I noticed this too. Like, there's, there's a, and there's the episodes where you feel like murder is wrong, but oh, you see why they did it, but it's not right. This one, ugh, no. You want to see him go away so badly. It's terrible, which, I mean, makes sense if they just made this film. They thought, oh, this is our one shot to having a movie on the television. All right. Well, let's, let's pull back on that a little bit. Do we want to start talking about the episode yet? Because I, I think I disagree with you there, RJ. Like what? What do you mean? That... Uh, he's sleazy. He's fucking horrible. He's horrible. No he has no it. remorse. He sees it like it's almost his right to be able to do this. To do this, yeah. His wife, however, is, nothing is re- also fucking ghastly. Well, but is she ghastly because she's married to him? I mean, they have a dinner party for their anniversary. During the dinner party, he's gleefully playing games where someone's trying to guess if he's uh, being some kind of murderer in charades. And he's like, <laughs> oh, maybe I yeah. But the entire time, you know that he's standing there making jokes about it while his wife, who's standing like a couple of feet away, he's already had this elaborate plan to kill her the next day, pretty much. Yeah. And then he leaves their anniversary party to, to yeah. go and uh, nail his uh, actress girlfriend there. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know any of this. When she, when he comes home, not only is she very chilly and makes him sleep in the, in the spare bedroom, and that's all very great, but she has that bit of dialogue about, I've already told you how this is going to go. I am going to ruin you. I am going to make an enormous scandal out of our divorce. Because. It is going to be destructive. But because he has been fucking. Sorry, pardon my French. He's been I fucking said around fucking on like her. Ten times. You I know. Say it once. He's been fucking around on her a lot. I mean, it's established in dialogue yeah. that there has been tons of infidelity in this in ten years, which those two only married ten years. Come on. But yeah, that they, they're <laughs> they should have cast younger if they're doing that. But yeah, it's. It, it's implied that it's not been they a good marriage have, for her at all. Cast her younger. She should have been. So yeah. She should have been the last woman that he lined up to fuck around with, basically. But, uh, you know, she doesn't have a chance to not be horrible. I don't. I don't. Given the circumstances and the way things are, I don't think it's. I don't see, think I she's don't, that I, horrible. I know that we see him being terrible first, but. I, I don't. I don't know if this is like a. This is a chicken and the egg scenario for oh, me. Let like, me I, let, hold on. I just want to write down I a find note. It's suggestive that the first thing we see is him at a party being clever in a way that's not fair to the others. And and a young chick yeah. is hanging on his can arm. Cheated that game by just naming somebody from your field of expertise. Oh right, yes. I think so. The first thing we learn about this guy is he's clever, but he knows it. He's a jerk. He's a huge jerk. But let me write that like a John. Think she deserved it. Okay, so next point. Yeah, yeah I think, just no, go ahead and just make sure that right now I think all women deserve it. Go ahead. Okay, got it. No problem. <laughs> go ahead. Just check that. I got check it. That box. All right, thanks. I also got to make sure I, I got to make sure I include that as a tag on this post on the site too. <laughs> I'll put it on the Tumblr. Oh yeah, I'll do just that. confess it. I'll just confess it on the Tumblr. Oh my God, that tag on Tumblr would not be good. Somebody would find that. <laughs> oh. Oh, the letters we no, get. Uh, so again, don't think she deserves it. Obviously, right, right. But I, and I, I don't know her her mood swings. I would here's the here's the backstory I figured out. Okay, I really do think she can't be his first wife. 
Hmm. I think she was the product of, you know, like the, she's basically who the actress was is now ten years ago. Okay, she was the she was the girl he was cheating with, and now she's let her bitterness and resentment grow to the point where she can't stop just shooting him daggers until he offers her a toy, basically, and then suddenly she's all love and attention and and come hither eyes. It's just it's a very unpleasant person, no matter how you cut it, even if she's trapped in a loveless, horrible mess at marriage with a man who's going to kill her. Yeah, I, they, they I guess I'm both. just I'm just not there. I'm just not there. I feel like she's probably had a terrible go of it. Um, yeah. And she's just like, wait, oh, well, I guess that's an OK story to let me believe you weren't cheating on me tonight. And Oh, you're going to take me on a trip for our anniversary to finally uh, try to fix our marriage. All right, I'll take that. It's like, well, no, sorry. Uh, you're going to get strangled. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah, and the stage play, th- there isn't the anniversary. There isn't the party. It starts in his office and they have an argument. And there's a bit of speech later from Dr. Fleming about it's basically about his wife as a lady who lunches. And, but that ah. Dr. Fleming really loves the girl. Okay. So I think Levinson and Link at some point have decided that let, let's make, let's make it's not, he's not the hero anymore. Right. This, this is the handover from villain to policeman to say this is your story now. And but it, it it makes sense with some of the later stuff. You can imagine that this is a couple who do argue on planes in public. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Because why else? So, how else would he have had the idea? Like, oh, I know the perfect way to set this up. Oh wait, actually, wait. <laughs> uh, once I, so it starts. How many settings? How many sets are there in the play? Because I was wondering I about think that. There too. are three. Yeah. Okay. I, office. I think it's just uh, Fleming's office, the the bedroom. Oh. And Colombo's office. Oh. Those are the ones that I remember there being diagrams of. Interesting. Okay. A lot less happening. Yeah, fewer yeah. locations because... Be- right, yeah, stage play. The of the beast. And this one, once you realize how few settings there are in the original story, you look at the film and you think, yeah, they're just showing off. They could have told this story a lot more economically. Kind of glad well, they didn't. Yeah, well, no, Especially but I mean... Going they to Hippie they... Park and looking in the broken mirror, that's nice. Because, well, I mean, <laughs> part of it is... I mean, you see, like, God, just, I can't remember what film it was, but I saw some film uh, last week. It was on the Turner Classic Movies or whatever. And looking it up, you see, like, oh, it's based on a play. And it was one of those ones where it's very obvious you know, the entire uh, the entire film pretty much is on this one set where they pretty much have filmed the play. And I like it. I like this so much better because there are certain scenes where you can tell, okay, that's pulled directly from when they're talking in his office having drinks, or that's pulled from there directly just in the apartment going back and forth around the furniture. But the fact that they made it look like a film, made it look cinematic, I think it, it's so much better than if they had just kind of pretty much straight up filmed it. Just it's set a camera back in the auditorium and yeah, yes, yeah. It's not just that it's it's filmic. Because I'm not a big fan of today's television with everything being a little bit too cinematic. Sometimes you lose intimacy. But Colombo gets arty a lot of the time. Yes, and this one... The number of psychedelic murders and crazy, you know, uh, John Cassavetes with his weird zoom-in glasses, that sort of stuff. Right, yes. Well, in this one... Robert Culp's murder vision. Yes, right. I love Robert Culp's murder vision. Well, in this one, too, I know it's... And I don't know if it's just because it's a difference from being influenced by uh, the look of stuff 
in, in the mid-60s, because it was in 68, compared to when you get to the ones they actually start doing the real series in the uh, early 70s. But there was a huge difference. But they both look cinematic, but it's a completely different type of movie look to both of them once they actually start doing the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one... 60s well, I mean, Columbo. I mean, he's... It's, he's taking place in a slightly different society. Yeah, I mean, the haircut alone. The haircut. The suit is neater. The haircut is much neater. It, it's a huge change. Like, well, what happened? The, the, the three or four years transitioning from the like, uh, late 60s, early 70s were rough on Columbo somehow. I still have this image of Columbo driving up to some crime I think this was just the first time crimes. he wore that suit. Oh, yeah. And then just kept wearing it for another 40 years. Yeah. Do you, do you ever, like, build right. joint universes in your head with the stuff you watch? Even oh, sometimes. Meant? Yeah, yeah. All the time. I, I, yeah, I, we've I done it with this. Episode, we've, done, well, we've done it We've done it. for uh, Columbo, too. Like, especially the, uh, there's only one TV network showing all of the uh, <laughs> TV shows that just happen to employ people who right. murder producers and agents and co-stars and whatnot. Yeah. I was thinking building links between franchises just the idea of Columbo turning up at crime scene and Joe Friday and Bill Gannon rolling their eyes because they sent that guy and he outranks them <laughs> well no actually there's a, the scene with the um, the kid who it turns out of course didn't do it which was uh, first of all it was odd because you never see that sort of thing in the series after that like Columbo actually interrogating someone down at headquarters but that entire that room that was like straight out of uh, the Dragnet set, pretty much. A Dragnet mm. 65 set or something. It looked exactly like that. It, it was it was kind of strange seeing Columbo in that sort of venue. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a good thing that we don't see too much of Columbo's proce- police procedure life. I like that his character throughout the series is kind of shaded in bit by bit. Mm-hmm. And... I like the, the idea that we don't see too much. It, it allows you to think that the bumbling might be a pretense. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. And, I mean, it, it's a thing like... Uh, well, I think it's yeah. only partially a pretense. If you, Thinking of his backstory, that he comes over from New York. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that, again, build, building links between franchises, because he mentions at one point and in one show that he was under an inspector. Yeah. Which means he definitely worked for the NYPD. I like to think that he worked under Inspector Kramer and Nero Wolf. I'll, uh, but I like this idea that he in, in New York he was a punk busting thief taking cop, mm-hmm. and now he is in L.A. and it is still a little bit dazzling for him. No, yeah, it's a whole he's thing not of... seen as many guys in slimy alleys or hung themselves in bedsits. Right. Yeah. No. It, it's... So the bumbling is still a little bit. He plays it, but it's it is partially genuine. It, it's that whole thing of just uh, being a, a complete and total outsider. And not fitting in, which definitely filled, filled, like, uh, fits in with his whole causing people underestimate, which, which they very explicitly just lay out in this episode when Gene Barry is just analyzing him and just pretty much telling you exactly what the character of Columbo is. Yeah, I could have done without that. Exactly. I, I kind of like that, though, because from the get-go, it's like, okay, well, here's the keys to this character, the keys to what this is going to be from now on. Which I kind of liked that, that they were just, because everything is there. That's a good there. scene, and then later when he, he, when he tells the girl, he's rattling off why they need to be so careful around Columbo, and he says he'll only be satisfied, satisfied if all his loose ends are in place. Yes, that's it, that's the guy. Which is simultaneously true, and also not exactly true. 
Because that's what Columbo wants you to think, though. Columbo wants right. you to run around making sure all your T's are crossed because so you're going to watch up. you cross them. Right. Because you're also going to make some mistake or slip up. Right. I mean, that's it. Well, I mean, it th- th- comes back to this. I mean, I have one. Uh, I have one shared universe. All right. Uh, guys, let's take let's take a break a second. I'm sorry. I'm about okay. six seconds behind you. Okay. So I'm going to sign off and I'll be right back. Oh, okay. I write down that time then. Twenty-eight oh nine. How tightly do you edit these? Um, it depends. Stuff comes up. Usually, we don't have tech problems. John's computer has been not good the last month or so. Yeah, I kind of lost. There the we go. So much better. Oh, ah. oh, you're back. Hey, hi, hello. Yeah, you sound much better. Okay, great. Well, let's see. I'll try not to do that again. Sorry, guys. Well, hey, do you do you hear me sign off or sign back on? Yeah. No, I did. No, you did. Well, I, I'm just wondering if I could like discreetly do it when that ha- starts to happen again. Well, no, or just I'll write down the time and then I'll just edit that out. Like right now, I'll write yeah. down. I'm writing down. It's 29 to 28, 40, 50. <sighs> yeah, I know. I mean, I just I'll uh, edit around it. Not a big deal. I had to do much okay. worse on wasted words. So, okay. Uh, let's go. You say you've got something, uh, another shared universe thing. Oh, I had a I have a dumb shared universe thing, which is. Uh, he chooses to murder his wife in front of an open sliding glass door in his apartment uh, in L.A., which is That's a notorious true. home of freaky pervs. And somebody must be watching. <laughs> and I like to imagine that Don Draper uh, has just uh, <laughs> just moved into his his hilltop house with his wife, Megan, and has seen the whole murder happen. <laughs> and just kind of squints like, oh, it's weird. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> just shakes his head a little bit and gets John Ham grim. Yeah. Could be. Maybe he's, yeah, they're up there. If they haven't been murdered by the Manson family yet, but yes. And then somehow he manages to turn it into an award-winning advertising scheme. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> I also really like the, the murder. There's a few things about the murder scene that, that really capture my imagination. And one is that the that's, piano... That's, that's healthy, but yes. <laughs> the piano serves exactly one purpose. Yes! <laughs> in this show, which is... I love that. ...all limply against it. And the hand go... Bam, dunk, and that's it. That's yep. why the piano's in the room. Yep. If you show also, a piano in Act 1, you gotta have a dead corpse hand hit it in Act 2. Chekhov's discordant piano. That's right. Uh, I was also... I'm really... I, I didn't know you could, mur- you could strangle someone from behind like that. Apparently can. Yeah, news to me. Well, hey, he did it. All, all the people I've strangled have been from the front, so that's Yeah, well, brain. no. I, well, maybe now you can change it up a little bit. Yeah. Maybe your strangulation's been a little boring, John. I can start bringing some life back to my strangling. It's not like, you know, you've heard complaints from people, but... <laughs> I have for heard you. choking sounds that could be complaints, but I... But that's just this, been from your writing. This is... Hey, what? let's move on. Um, well, actually, let, let's... The fact that this is such... I mean, I think it's fascinating that uh, things kept evolving uh, from the, the short story uh, to the first TV version of this, to then the stage play and everything, to then you get to this point where they make this this TV film, and yet everything is pretty much there. I mean, a lot of times you get a pilot episode, and it's like, oh, it's close enough, but things are just off enough where it's uncomfortable to watch if you're familiar with like the rest of the run of a series that goes for a long time. But this, a lot of it is already right there in place, hitting the ground running, 
And I don't know how much of it's attributed to uh, the writing, the character, because they had years and years of working this thing out. How much of it is Peter Falk's performance, how much he had right from the start. It's a combination of the two. I don't know what you guys think about that, but pretty much a lot of the basic stuff that you know about Columbo that you're used to, even just down to the props and mannerisms, it's there. It's all yeah. pretty much there, fully formed, which I think is fascinating for this. They're certainly hanging a lot off Peter Falk. Oh, yeah. 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 It's great. It's Columbo stares a bit more intense. He's not looking out from underneath a bunch of crumpled thoughts this time. He's just like, you did it and I'm going to get you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which it's a thing that just comes up occasionally in the later ones. But this one, yeah, pretty much throughout the entire thing, that's about the biggest difference. He is uh, very blunt and direct and uh, kind of angry about it. Which they... It's probably yeah, he's worth, got a... No, go ahead, please. It's probably worth mentioning, uh, Bert Freed, enough rope. He does the whole thing of, have you got a pencil? Every morning, my wife gives me one. Ah, thing. then she gives me a pencil. Uh, nice, and I always lose it. So that thing's already in there. He's, right. He, first thing he says he's talking about his wife. So that's the thing where Levinson and Link had that from the start, where they just to humanize the guy to kind of make it kind of quirky and mm -hmm. strange. Okay. I think to do the whole thing with the underestimation, where yeah, yes. I, that's the scene I was thinking about, where because Columbo is. In later Columbos, I think he would respond to that very humbly or or kind of aw shucksy, but he's really sarcastic. Well, but there is there is that really humble aw shucks thing um, when yeah. uh, Gene Barry they're in his office. It's that whole sequence where when he tells him, you know, like oh, you know, you're very droll or something like that. And yeah, it, Falk does this really really great sort of like aw shucks, what no. It just mm -hmm. feels, feels a bit out to me, but only out by degrees. We don't have that. Yeah, you're right. We don't have that full blown. This isn't. This doesn't resemble the show. It's just off here and there. Yeah. Right, but not but as much fine. as a lot of other things, though. This oh yes, is, yeah. this is so close to what it ended up being. I, 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 was I feel like this must have come out at a, in kind of the golden age of rejiggering the pilot for a series. Because I, I, you, we all know that by the seventies and the eighties that the the pilot never resembled the finished show. And there was always trading actors and it was a big, like the studios really got their hands dirty on putting it, bringing in new writers, changing the location, changing the house. Can we, can we set it in San Francisco and not New York or whatever, really just messing with it. But this is still kind of the, this is at the tail end of the early days of TV. And I feel like once they get the pilot, they say, yeah, it basically works. Put it on air. Well, actually, I'm wondering about that though. Like, how much of the, how much was this intended to be a pilot and not just filming a play as a TV movie? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, because this... have a four-year gap and then a second pilot. Yeah, so I'm wondering if this was actually intended to be a pilot or just a TV movie of the week, and that's it. And then when they were just looking to start up the NBC Movie of the Week thing a couple of years later, oh, hey, well, you know, we've got this yeah. thing. We could turn this into a series. Maybe we'll do a pilot based on this character, this concept. So I'm not sure if this was intended to be a one-off or if this was actually supposed to try to do a series even, like, back in 1968. Because, I mean, the way it looks, it looks like a film. I mean, right. those opening credits, yeah, and the then, crazy animation and everything, yeah. But the film-like quality never left it, so there was never a point when they thought of Columbo as a series. They always thought well, of it as a, a movie. I think this is... I mean, yeah, there's that film-like thing, but I think it's 
all of the or most of the NBC mystery movie things had that quality to it. But this is even more film seeming than those yeah. were actually. It's isolated certainly because they don't overdo any of the Columboisms. Right. And admittedly they haven't really started them yet, but you'll get you'll get five or six crowd pleasing mentions of Mrs. Columbo in but, uh, an episode from 74 75. Right. And there's only it's just, one here. Yeah. And it's it's really in service of the story, only in service of the story. Well, actually, no. There's there's a, there's a couple. She comes up quite a bit. Um, comes thought, up at uh, the be- comes up the beginning, and then when uh, he's going to the um, uh, when he's talking to uh, Doctor Fleming, saying like, "Oh, my wife, she wants me to, she thinks I should see." So I told her I'd see a thing yeah. to see why I freak people out all the time. Plus a reference to some sister with a crazy table. Um, uh, that's all in the stage play. That speech is in the stage play. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Shaped coffee table. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's a, such an odd joke. I only yeah. recall two of them. All right. Yeah, it comes up. A, it comes up enough for like, oh, okay. They just decided to keep that as like an endearing thing for the series, mm-hmm. or just more of the thing where like, oh, he's this guy who's always going on about his wife. I don't have to worry about him actually investigating. You know, my killing somebody. It's pretty good that they set up early that it's got to be largely fabrication. Yes. See, that's you know? what I really like about that. So if you didn't never saw this, mm-hmm. I mean, you still get that, but if you see this, you can see like, oh, oh from the, they knew exactly what they were doing and what they wanted to do with this guy from the start. Should it ever become larger than just this one play, this one film? I yeah. Mean, yeah. They knew exactly what made the character work. They knew exactly why it was a good character right away. Mrs. Columbo must have a drawer full of unwanted autographs. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, lots and lots of them. She's like, I don't know who this is. Who is this? Eh, don't worry about it. Did you tell him I like... Yeah, yeah, I told him you liked country music. <laughs> All right. Ugh. It's like if, if she passed away, you know, like in the, uh, the 90s, 2000s, kids going through the house like, oh, my God. Oh, look, look she got, she's got all these autographs from these people who are famous but they went to prison. This is incredible. I always feel like it must be some level of compensation, though. He comes home, and she's got dinner ready. He's like, I just had a lot of squirrel chili, <laughs> but uh, don't get angry. I got you oh, an autograph. Squirrel chili. Oh, God, I forgot the squirrel chili. Uh, oh, my Lord. Oh, I ate some hot dogs. I got chili at Burt's. Oh, I ate some canapes. The screening Well, room. I've lost my place in this movie. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, no, we're just... <laughs> point we're talking about? Well, no, we're, we're going all over the place. Like, whatever it uh, whatever oh, good. Uh, comes up. Yeah, different points that yeah. were kind of interesting. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. What was the thing? Oh, uh, so... Well, let's talk about the actual... Like, the rest of the uh, killer's plan. Sure. His his grand plan... Okay, it, it's a little... Maybe a little overcomplicated. Uh, to me, the, one of the weakest points of it is uh, taking the uh, family silver in a suitcase on a fishing boat uh, in Mexico and thinking, being assured he would get some point uh, where he would just be easily able to just toss it overboard. Right. That that seems like it's a bit of a risk in your plan to get rid of the murder weapon and the fake uh, stolen stuff that way. I don't know. I was thinking about how this is back in the days when you could get a locker at an airport. Yes, right. That would have and been he, something. And he could have... I mean, obviously, there's some risk in leaving. His whole game was to take it out of town and take it to another country and get rid of it. Right. But uh, it it does seem like you could have spared yourself the whole 13 pounds overweight issue 
if you just popped in a locker and then figured out what to do with it. You know, you could throw it away at that point because no one's going to be looking at the dumpsters near your neighborhood anymore. Right. Yeah, I think there's a ways. There were ways to make that simpler. And, and also, you took a risk breaking the glass while the body was there. Right. Because a big chunk could have come out, gone flying, <laughs> cut oh. her somewhere, and that's it. She was dead. She was. Oh, another thing. You know the whole thing of police outlines being some fakey thing they made up for TV and movies? Right. Do they have outlines for people who aren't dead yet? Actually, that's, that's what they use, they, what they use it for. Oh, that's... Ah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's to indicate placement on people they got to move. Oh. You can right. leave the dead dude around for a while. Okay. So well, if she if she oh. were still alive, although let's let's also stop there and say what a shitty psychiatrists are medical doctors, and I'm going to say he's a pretty shitty one because he didn't check to see if his wife was dead. Yeah, if the pulse was actually out gone. Like no, oh, oh, well, eyes are story, closed. One of the things he does is he puts his hand in front of her mouth and checks she's dead. Oh, there see, well, it. Uh, whatever. The, she has a she has a Gosh. line before that that cracks me up when she's being very flirty and sweet. And swanning about the place, and she talks about wanting to buy more art. And, right. and uh, you, something, some line like you like art, and she uh, she says we could buy some paintings of cans. Paintings of cans. Oh, because but that's she, all the rage then. Yeah, she yeah. laughs her way through it. It's paintings of soup cans. She just thinks <laughs> it's hilarious, and that's another reason I think she deserved it, RJ. Oh my god, because she didn't like pop art. Um, yeah, going back to the uh, the luggage thing. If I remember correctly, was it like what thirty-five bucks he paid on his credit card for the overage? I think it was. Uh, I don't remember the amount, but it was something, yeah. Um, and twenty-fifteen dollars—that's two hundred and forty-two bucks. Woo! Yeah, yeah. That alone, that alone. Surely, a, a big on. chunk of the audience must have taken against him because he had a credit card in nineteen sixty-eight. Yes, right. that, and also putting that much money on it just to uh, get the uh, murder silver out of town. <laughs> Jesus, that's crazy. Well, in, it was a it was a pretty good fight the first, on the plane. This is the first time he dumps in the in this version of the story. It's the first time he dumps the silver in Mexico. All oh. previous versions, it's upstate New York in a lake. Oh, huh. which huh. when we get to the ending, I will tell you why the ending of this story has got less good as it's gone on. Oh, and no, Don't yeah, has a better ending we, we can, than Prescription Murder. I want to I wanna make a prediction. Having, having grown up in the Hudson Valley of New York, yes. it's because if you throw silver into a lake that the little gnomes who live there will recover it. Oh, yeah. And, and then okay. make, and put you to sleep for 100 years. Oh. Yeah. There we go. So that's Am smart. I close? Was that it? Smart. Well, we, we can talk about it now. We don't, we don't go in order. We can talk about it okay, now. What, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so how did how did the how does the play and the short story how do they end? Well, the short story <laughs> the short story is just right. Murders the oh, wife. Right. Goes yes. to see the mistress. They go to the airport. They have the argument on the plane, and then we cut to a few days later. He's dumped the silver. He's coming back. Fisher is there. He says, "I'm sorry, but your wife is dead." And he's like, oh, okay. He's left the body there for the maid to find. There's a piece of paper on the floor. He opens it. The maid hasn't been. Says, I can't make it Monday. I'm coming tomorrow. And then Fisher says, she was killed in the taxi on the way from the airport. Oh. And he opens uh... the door. His wife is still in the room. And Fisher says, may I come in? 
That's amazing. Oh, weird. That's a gut punch. Yeah. That's really good. Oh, Spo- my. Spoiler alert, listeners. Yeah. That's a real good ending. Oh. Yeah, please, please put the, the how 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 I spoil this story three different ways <laughs> yes. in, in any headings and stuff. Maybe you want to yeah. record a, a special intro. Enough rope. <clears throat> Colombo is obsessed with the weight difference in the luggage. Mm-hmm. And th- we have the whole business with the confession. Interestingly, that comes to nothing in the stage play. We don't get any perps wedding with the fake murderer. Mm-hmm. It's just briefly mentioned as, but, but immediately discounted. And he calls the guy in at the end. He calls in Fleming. And he shows him the silver and the furs. Mm-hmm. And said, look, this weighs nine pounds. And Fleming goes, this is cheap stuff. This, is, this stuff has C printed on it. But apparently, he's, this is yours. Apparently, Colombo has monogrammed silverware. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> which I love the idea of that. The Peter Falk Colombo having monogrammed silver. <laughs> But it's like, well, he proved my point. It's it's nine pounds. This is the stuff you. This is the stuff as you described. That weighs nine pounds. And then he brings the girl in. And the guy from the DA's office who was trying to take him off the case is also their extra witness. The girl comes in. She looks in. She looks at Fleming. Goes, how did they find it? Oh, nice. guilty knowledge. Nice. Oh, that's a good one too. That's a good, nice yeah. short one. Solid ending with material. And and Columbo says, he says to the guy, said, this isn't it. But my men are dragging the lake. Ah, uh, okay. So, because there's a whole little speech at one point earlier on where he says, "Oh, is that a rock bottom lake or a mud bottom lake?" Because I'm interested in bass fishing. Uh huh. Ah, <laughs> oh, he's Columbo all the time, guys. He's just constantly Columboing. Well, what what the thing the thing I like is all three of these uh, good endings. Yeah, just all three of these. I really like the movie. They're ending. different, and they're all awfully good endings. Levinson and Link, they know how to do this. The stage play is, is the same ending, but less elaborate. He he calls Fleming down to his office, the same ending as 1968. Okay. He calls Fleming to his office. No, hang on a minute. No, he doesn't. Oh, four different versions. Right. <laughs> I know, that's, Susan crazy. that's what's so crazy about this. Yeah. <laughs> Susan doesn't turn up for her appointment. He calls the coroner answers. He calls... And he calls his friend at the DA's office, and he said, yeah, there was, some, there, was, there was definitely a report. So he goes to Colombo's office, and no, hang on. No, he confesses in his own office. Sorry, Colombo turns up at his office, says, oh, okay. the girl killed herself with barbiturates. But, you, oh, well, you know, it's, you didn't get the girl. And then Fleming says, oh, I suppose I didn't, and I really loved her, and... Okay, I'll come down and make a statement. They leave, and as they leave, just just after, Susan comes in and says, where's Dr. Fleming? I'm sorry I'm late. Some policeman picked me up, drove me around, and then dropped me off. Oh. And I, but I don't like that, because yeah. like, that, that, that is a really unsafe confession, and I have yes, seen some because people complain could, about occasionally yeah. Columbo's, Columbo's bent sometimes. He just... It's oh, really unsafe. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's been. We've talked about this before. Where there's been ones where, like, eh, it probably wouldn't hold up in court too easily. Yeah. Well, how, how in this in the nineteen sixty eight version? How does he say? Right, I need an ambulance. I need a couple of cops. I need that. that oh, it's, he puts on a whole on, show. Because she got a bikini. Yeah, <laughs> puts on a crazy show for it. But 
I like that because it just reinforce. I like the the ending of the the film, uh, the prescription murder, because it just is able to reinforce just what a horrible, horrible, cold jerk mm-hmm. uh, Gene Barry's character is. It's a real risk, though, if you think about it. It was only because he and uh, Columbo and Bear, uh, Columbo and Fleming had had that conversation about the theoretical murder, right? And if I think if that conversation had not happened, he's really counting on Fleming being such an arrogant cock that he just doesn't want Columbo to know that he could have won. Right. You know, and he has to go rub it. I never loved that girl. And then... But if it had been an accident. Yeah. What? Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Boo-hoo. You were going to murder me as well. Yeah. He's such a sly little elf. Yeah, that's such an <laughs> sitting odd line. sitting upon his own private little toadstool. toadstool. That's such a peculiar line. Uh, an, an interesting bit of dialogue difference between the stage play and the movie. Uh, oh yeah, yep. You're the most persistent creature I've ever met. Uh, in in the stage play, it's you're the most persistent bastard I've ever met. Oh. Uh, and later on, uh, the the confession scene at the end. Don't you lecture me, Columbo says. You bastard! Don't you lecture me? Oh. Oh. Well, also, uh, congratulations on doing a better Columbo than RJ or I have ever managed. Yeah, pretty well, much. I can't, I pretty can't much. even do. I can't even get the accent to the right continent, so I don't even try. <laughs> it was still better. It was still better. Yeah. Yeah. Render, I, can't do it. I mean, if you want me to do Manchester Columbo or Liverpool Columbo or East Anglia <laughs> Columbo, that would be different. But can you Welsh Columbo? No, I have Welsh friends. Oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun. Um, yeah, Listen, my, my, I think the last one of these I heard you mentioned how you like when Columbo gets angry, and boy, oh, there's they got that, in this. Got that in like a, that and a half in this one. Yeah, it, that, yeah we'll it's strange. Yes, go ahead. Yes, please well, do. It's, uh, uh, it's the the question about whether that was anger or desperation. Oh, okay. Because he really wasn't making a lot of headway with Fleming. Right. Now, I, I think we're, we're maybe freed from the, the prohibition against Columbo getting angry because, like you say, this was a standalone film. They wanted to run Peter Falk through some paces, run Columbo through his paces. So maybe he's allowed to get angry here. But he really was just hitting a repeated brick wall with Fleming. Right. So I was wondering if the anger he exhibits towards the actress, and I don't remember her name, uh, was genuine anger... Or just like this was his desperate last move was to sh- to rattle her, because it she didn't seem like canny enough and and too feckless to get really angry at because she was clearly in her way a victim as well. Right. I think I think it was maybe the desperation rattling her thing actually. Not just yeah. yeah. I yeah, don't know. I seems... think it could be genuine because Columbus then realized that she is in it up to her neck. She was. This is a pre-planned murder, and she was obviously part of the pre-planning. Mm-hmm. She got the dress, yeah. she got the wig, she got the gloves, knowing this guy was going to murder his wife. She is 100% accomplice. She is not less guilty mm-hmm. than he is. And they even talked it on anniversary night. Ugh. Right. And she swims in full eyeshadow. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. I realized that. <laughs> Back in the boy, even today, women sleep. You know, women on TV sleep in their eyeshadow. They run through the rain in their eyeshadow. Right, constantly made up. So I think his anger was genuine. There, he he'd suddenly decided that in some way she was 
worse because she could have been more innocent. Because there's that line, oh, she was, she was lying there. And she says, no, oh, you, you came after? That's, there's, there's indignation in that. It just, I, I find that I weird that. bit where he shouts, she wouldn't be lying in a morgue. Right, yeah, yeah. That seems a little extra twist of the knife. Well, he's very he's very uh, cool about it when he first talks to her at the studio and he's laying out photos and his documents. Right. And he's he's so phony with the uh, uh, I wish I remember his lines about the sunglasses, but it's something like, oh, what are these? Oh, how did these get in there? Must be in here by mistake. Do you want yeah, to try them on? Where they're on his desk and he goes, oh, people leave stuff on my desk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, you've seen a pair of sunglasses before. Yeah, that's that's the very disingenuous intro, and that might even just be to unsettle her a little bit. See, it's a tough call because we don't have like the the weight of Columbo behind this episode. Well, I, yeah, but then you could see where it's a gimmick he's using that obviously ended up working, right? But she because she did break down enough at some point to agree to that whole ruse of faking mm-hmm. her suicide. He broke so down. She broke down enough to let. Let him prove to her right. that he didn't give a shit about her, which is an interesting tactic that I think I would have liked to have seen decided upon. What do you mean? Like because, a scene where they decide to do it? Well, it's, I can, you can picture a cop haranguing someone enough that they confess, right? Right. I have a hard time picturing a cop haranguing someone to a degree where they go, all right, I'll let you prove that he doesn't love me. <laughs> That is an odd thing to rip. Like, I'm trying to picture that happening on Homicide, like Stringer Bell <laughs> saying, well, okay, prove that he doesn't love me. You know, that's a, that's a weird turn to have happen. I, I suppose, I guess I didn't really need to see it, because to me it kind of leads to the whole thing, which they do in this episode, and they establish it as a thing that was used over and over again later on, where when you don't see him and you're with the killer, you're with the other characters, he's working on stuff, he's working on people... He's working 24-7, going out to the airport. There's that nice little bit in the fake confession from the Section 8 guy. Mm -hmm. And Fleming says, I suppose you thought, I got him to kill my wife. He goes, oh, no, I asked him. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I love that. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of points where he mentions interviewing the air hostess at the airport. Right. And he did it twice. Yes. Yeah. Or I mean, is, this is one of the ones where I think you can say Columbo suspects immediately. Oh, definitely. Because, yeah. of course, the idiot tried to kill him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't bother looking. Didn't, didn't do the thing of holding, up the no, holding the nose shut to see if she fact, gasps. You know, didn't, didn't look yeah. for a pulse. You know, I have, I, mean, a, I have a note here, and I don't actually think I understand what I meant by it. So help me, help me point right. this one out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, the failure of almost every Columbo villain, villain? The Columbo... Columbo vaudevillians, yes. Oh, there's is, a wonderful uh, troupe. That they, they work so hard to give alternate theories to Columbo. Yes. And I have here in my note, he starts giving alternate theories before he even murders her. Uh, um... I don't know what that was. And be. I've got and oh you know what I think it it's something what? oh I know I know what the note is because in parentheses it says where's the blue dress. It's because when she's packing, she can't find her blue dress. Oh and so because he's immediately, already yes. yeah. Okay. He's just like, oh well let me explain. And <laughs> again, what he needs to do at that point is say, I don't know. Cause that's all you really have to say. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. 
Or even the thing like uh, with the, the gloves. Columbo comes over, <laughs> comes over early, right. <laughs> using the key in the lock for a long time. Ah. Just forever doing the key in the lock. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I what do you do? Well, what are you doing here? Uh, uh, he's like, this well, you know, I thought I'd is... come and save time. I found the gloves in the, her bureau. Oh well, we looked in the bureau and they weren't there. Yeah, it was so strange. That scene is pretty much word for word in enough rope. Oh, okay. But but it's Bert Freed being very sarcastic. Yeah, that's... I mean, he doesn't... I mean, in this, like, Peter Fox stumbles in with the key in the lock. Yeah. Bert Freed's helping himself in like it's his apartment. <laughs> like, which, which that's a uh, thing later on. I'll put a couple of Brewski's feet up, watch the game, and then... Which later on, they would have Columbo do that. Because later on, uh, somebody comes home from something in their apartment, and Columbo would just be there in the dark, dark asleep. Yeah, suitable They'd, for yeah. framing. He's yes. just asleep in a chair. Or just, like, barging into places. They started doing that a lot more with him uh, in the series. Mm. Wasn't nearly as polite. Hard to explain. Yes. <laughs> just flipping back when he's saying about identifying, uh, taking a picture of the dead woman to the air hostess, that's our first just one more thing. And that's definitely right. there as a prod Wait, what's the first Let him drop one? his guard and then, and then oh. says, oh, by the way, I took a, I had to take a picture of your wife to take the, the air hostess to identify. Oh, right, And he yes. then just leaves it there for a moment. Yeah. And then says, she, she said it was, but he just waits to see. The reaction, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot, I mean, and, and plus the kind of weird, uh, when they do actually go to the hospital, uh, when the wife actually dies... There's a great thing like, oh, did she, did she say anything? Well, if it's any comfort, she said your name. Right. That yes. is a good bit. Oh, it's so great. And I was just, very fond of that. Because it was wonderful because like, well, you could take that both ways. And it, yeah. yeah, it's just great. And just, yeah, Falk's uh, reaction to that. The expression is wonderful. And yeah, it just that that was, that's a really great tense little scene. And yeah, uh, along those along those lines. So that's a that's a, an amazingly pregnant scene that was vital to the episode. Uh, to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, poor Miguel just cutting bits of fish and throwing it in the water. Yes, Miguel, I'm hungry. Go make us some lunch so I can like, hide I, evidence. Uh, I'll imagine that's on your credit. You know, I I chucked four parts of a fish into a fake ocean and then i went to make lunch well the, but then also the the patience of that on, on the part of uh, dr fleming uh fishing that that's a leisurely activity that's nothing that happened so they were probably out there for hours and he's yeah. happened to have this very heavy clanking suitcase next to him <laughs> the entire time since about 5 a.m and that's around noon just well, yeah, waiting had, and waiting and everything. waiting and he transferred everything into a uh, a tackle box yeah, no, no, it was a beer cooler. That's what it was. Oh, that's right. Which, oh, sure. Lucky, sure. lucky. <laughs> lucky Miguel's a, on the wagon, yes. basically. And didn't buy, and it, yeah, because he wouldn't have been noticing, oh, these beers are warm because there's no ice. It's full of metal. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was a strange like, part of the plan. It was apparently such an enormous boat, there was no way for Miguel to watch until you ever look out the door and see a man hucking a silver goblet into <laughs> I you. Oh, no! <laughs> yes! Oh, just seeing if there's any sort of magical swords around here. Splash. Oh, I'm just, I'm trying to get there. There's like a, some, of, some of these uh, uh, coho salmon. They go for a st- uh, tarnished <laughs> silver. They like to nibble at silver. It, it's a thing they do in upstate New York. You've probably never heard of it down here in Mexico. 
It's a technique they use. Uh, Silver let's see. fishing. I'm looking at my notes because we are uh, we're I think we're running out a little bit. So maybe oh yes, yes, we are uh, getting uh, towards the end of stuff here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that theme song. Oh, it's yeah. Hey, that thing's neat and weird. It, it, the whole thing, like uh, there's there's like these points uh, where the score is like super jazzy, crazy yeah. jazzy, and there's points where it's just weird. I liked that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was awesome. Who who did? Let me look this. Who did the music here? Uh, it's Dave Brusen. Oh, what else has he done? Let's I see. think he was involved in a jazz tribute to Brian Wilson, which is why I know his name. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Uh, the theme tune, the first time I saw Prescription Murder was when they started releasing Columbo on VHS. Mm. Uh, they were put, I think it was Columbo, Ironside, and Kojak were all like, released on VHS <laughs> in nice matching oh. editions within a few weeks. And if you bought the first volume, you got a CD. Volumes one, two, and three of cop themes. Oh, this and was on there. All done, they're all done by the same guy on MIDI. Oh wow! And, and you know when you see a thing that says this has the Columbo theme on it, and it's it's prescription oh murder. God. It's the prescription murder theme. And I think it's somewhere on, if you go on Spotify, search for Columbo theme, you'll find a cheap synthy version of prescription murder. Oh my god, that's awesome. Okay, we'll do that. Oh, worth giving it a shot. Okay. Yes. Oh. Yeah, here you just got the VHS tapes. Nothing, nothing as fun as that. It's a bunch of VHS. Um, I'm trying to think. So, is there anything else uh, from your researching the uh, previous uh, million versions of this before it actually got to uh, the first Columbo that you can think of that's kind of carried over or didn't carry over that you noticed? I think... It'd be, it would be, unfortunately, we can't see Thomas Mitchell. Yeah, I know. That would have been so Thomas interesting. Thomas Mitchell, I think he's playing Columbo as a really old cop. He was 70. It was his last role. Right. I imagine that some of his befuddlement is just a memory that's been used too many times. It'd be interesting to compare a Thomas Mitchell performance with the 90s Columbo. When we oh, find... Yes. It's a little bit like the only Rockford Files I've ever seen with those TV movies they made 15 years ago. And oh, I've really? Never really? Well, I've, I've, I think I've seen little bits of 70s Rockford since and I found it not quite as interesting because it was much more interesting seeing a guy in his 60s. Doing all this stuff, going having through. To do that, okay. that seemed to be part of the story. Uh, uh, one thing I forgot to mention about the ending of the stage play. Mm. So... Fleming's been taken away. He's going to confess. And Susan there's a big musical doesn't number. doesn't realize this. Goes into Fleming's office, and he's got left a little gift box on his desk. Oh. With a note sort of saying, from, I think he's called Roy, from, from Roy to Susan, here's to the future. Oh, no. Woof, woof. So again, we still got, we're still meant to feel a little bit of sympathy. See, I don't like that. I like gone it. gone by the time. I don't, I don't, Mary. yeah. I like it so much better in the film. Like, I don't like feeling sympathy for this guy. Like, I think they, they made a very good choice moving it over that way, pretty much. Well, I know all about Dean Barry uh, making a terrible TV show in the 70s called The Adventurer and having one of his co-stars fired for being too tall. Oh, God. <laughs> so I kind of was a bit prejudiced against him. Oh, jeez. I just remember him yeah. from his time as uh, Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Oh, yeah, he was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff, yes. That wasn't it. What? <laughs> what are you? That's no. What? Come on. Oh, I forgot that Burke's Law show he did in the nineties. Right? Oh my gosh. What didn't get brought back? 
weird. Everything got brought back, didn't it? Sooner or later, they even did the return of Ironside as a TV movie, and I think so. Yeah, and then also they did a, a remake of the series with um, uh, Blair Underwood, right? Two or three years back, that lasted two episodes or so. Um, like oh, hey, the guy in a wheelchair solving crimes. That's that's evergreen. People love that. It's like no. I it worked with Raymond Burr. It's, yeah. I don't know. I was actually just wondering if uh, The Adventurer was what Bat Masterson was called in the UK. And no, that's a different show. Oh, The, I... the Adventure is really awful. I mean, it's it's <laughs> cheap and ragged. And they, they have a scene where or, Gene Berry plays a movie star who's also a spy in secret. Oh, I'm looking at this right now. His character is Gene Bradley. Oh, God. And uh... has, like, teenage girls lusting over him. They have a scene where he's getting his that report from his superior and they're on a Ferris wheel and they keep cutting between the two guys and the Ferris wheel's traveling in different directions. Oh, <laughs> no. The back projection. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's an updating of his Amos Burke secret agent character, pretty much. Oh, my God. So it's like it's, an, it's just total vanity project. Yeah, oh, apparently some of the stories suffer from it because he has to be good at everything. Uh, well, good, good for uh, good for Gene Barry there, I guess. Yeah, it was all downhill after War of the Worlds for that guy. That's where he peaked. That was his Citizen Kane. Yeah. Though he didn't write it or direct it or uh, produce it. I have a couple more things to say. Oh, sure. On, on yeah, general topics. Um, again, talking about the focus not necessarily being Columbo, Columbo not being the protagonist, a really excellent example of the story being the murderous story, I think, is Columbo Likes the Nightlife. I have not seen that one yet. Because the music, the, the pace, seems to be part of the murderous world. It's a sexy nightclub in uh, the early 2000s. It, it's the last that's one, isn't it? It's the that's very the last, last episode. And I yeah, swear the somebody one. somewhere must have come in partway through that movie, not knowing what it was, thinking, hey, I'll watch this oh, <laughs> dynamic nightclub thriller meant for young people like me. And <laughs> then all of a sudden, here comes Peter Walk shambling through. <laughs> hey. hey, everybody, what's going on? Oh, and I know dear. Uh, now, what do we say about the impressions? Sorry, right, I shouldn't be doing them. I, I'm sorry. I know sometimes you like to ask people who they would have liked to have seen as murderers. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I have to. One, okay. Paul Williams. Oh! <laughs> oh my god, that would have been a I wonderful one. good and sufficient reasons had to Photoshop a picture where Columbo was tiny and Dog was massive. <laughs> and I thought, who's going to be the killer in this? I'll put Paul Williams. No, that, that would be perfect. Look. No, that, that... Oh, all just crazy. But I have another up. idea... For, but this will have to have two guys returning. Mm-hmm. Robert Culp as mm-hmm. the murderer. Yes. Always Becky good. Cooper as the victim. Oh. This is not necessarily a statement about the ongoing controversy of credits in the comic book world, but here's my pitch. Okay. Stanley murders J- Jack Kirby. <laughs> oh! Actually, that would have been a good story. Oh, it's it's another thing for Columbo not to know anything about, but and he has those, a nephew who reads those comics, and and those two guys, and those two guys playing those two guys, I could definitely yeah, see that for sure. I have such a uh, oh, that's a good a idea. Real allergy about any kind of television show that uses cartoonists and comic books as a premise because there's inevitably inevitably the point where they have to come up with their own like zeitgeisty superhero that's supposed to represent. 
because they can't use any like licensed superheroes. So it's always something like, oh yeah, Laser Man or Shark Face. These are my heroes, and like, they're Have always you seen terrible. There's comics. the Winged Avenger episode of the Avengers. The no. Steve Mrs. Peel one. Right. And it's like they have no idea what superheroes are like because it this <laughs> seems to be about the villain. There's a cover of the Winged Avenger going, Who will be my August bride? Wow. <laughs> it's it, They do it, that a lot. There's odd, a lot of yeah. stories where you'll see a comic book, a superhero comic book used as the plot, but the villain is really somehow driving whatever real world actions are synced up to the comic. Well, John, I'm going to ask you, it's just uh, a bit of a diversion. Did you ever see the uh, the short-lived uh, Bob Newhart series from the 90s? You you bet I did, cousin. I Did you see the episode where they actually have footage of him going before uh, like the Senate committee about uh, comic books being bad for kids and things? It's great. You know, probably I, I have, but I do not recall it. Yeah, I think Marvel even did a comic based on the comic on the show too. I can tell you that. Yeah, they did yes. a comic. Let's let's just do Mad a real quick aside. I won't yes. make it too long. It was called Mad Dog. Yes, I had a, a couple issues. Yeah, you flip it over. It was a flip comic. Uh, one side was, I believe, written and drawn by Ty Templeton, and it was the vintage Mad Dog of right. the 1950s. Yep, yep. And it was very funny, and uh, it was meant to be super innocent, but it was very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. You flipped over the other side. It was written by Evan Dorkin. That's who wrote that? He wrote it. Oh, I didn't know that. Be, Even better. It was supposed to be the modern-day... Yeah, the dark and like, gritty... Grim and gritty one. Yeah, but and not funny at all, which so it did not play to Dorkin's strengths as a writer. But I had no idea that was him. And then they they grabbed somebody from the Marvel stable to do like sort of an image comics ish, yeah, looking art. And I get that it's broad satire, but it's when it's I don't think it was good enough on its own to be recognized as satire. But when you compared it with what Ty Templeton was doing on the other side, it just it was so. Dismal, and it's a shame because I'm a huge Dorkin fan. But, yeah. Yeah. but I, I like anyway. the idea that they even did that, and I actually kind of liked that series when it was out too. It was a fun, weird, yeah thing. Love yeah, it wasn't bad. But it's a, it a bit of a, uh, a counterbalance to the handling comic book stuff badly, but actually kind of make it an entertaining thing. But yeah, nobody wants to watch a sitcom about people making comic books. So, gee, I wonder oh, why. Uh, on a different topic, before we sign off, the you know we do ask people to come up with murderers they would have liked to have seen on Columbo. Here's a question I asked earlier. Tilt, I'm going to ask you to answer it. What? Uh, if uh, if RJ and I were on an ah. episode of Columbo, who do you think would be the murderer and who would be the victim? Well, I, I said this and you didn't like it. I tweeted you. Oh, wait, which one? Because oh. I, wait, I, think, uh, I think you will murder RJ over the misuse of the sexy dad. Yes, idea. that was it. I do remember that. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. you know, if you ever want to spin this podcast out a bit longer, you're worried about coming to the end, do, just, just do broad topics. And I think one topic to ask a lot of your friends is, what would Columbo's last case be? A satisfying last case. That's a good and one. I think a case where Columbo himself is the motive, if he has to sort of say, you hit him with that ashtray because I'm a sexy dad, he'd probably <laughs> quit not long <laughs> after Jeez. that. <laughs> I wanted to get angry about being a sexy dad. That's my only requirement. Why would he get angry? He wouldn't get angry about it. He'd be, he'd be, uh, he'd do the bashful kind of putting the head down thing that smile like, oh, I, I'm a little sexy. That wasn't quite an impression. I just <laughs> I'm said it. Sexy. I, I may be a little sexy. Thanks, Miss, Mrs. Columbo thinks I'm kind of sexy. Oh, this is my nephew I thinks think... I'm kind of sexy, but all right, it's. I think you just kind of stammering your way through a line is much a much better impression than any of our Columbo impressions. 
yeah, I just yeah, I just shouldn't do the voice at all. <laughs> just just kind of yeah, the stammering is the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Speaking of Mrs. Columbo, has any yes. I've never seen anybody do fan art of Mrs. Columbo as described in the show. You'd think somebody somewhere with a deviant art account. Well, no one's done it as the actual Mrs. Columbo they put on the air either, and with good yeah. reason. Well, that's true, yeah, but this... And I think it's the same reason you ever see anything of uh, Vera from Cheers. Chris, actually, come to think of it, you don't see a lot of Cheers fan art in general, I suppose. Yeah. Frasier, uh, sure. Frasier's all over the place. Mavis, come I on. Actually, uh, but, I actually yeah. have something in the queue that is sort of fan art of Mrs. Columbo. Hey. In our, on the Tumblr queue. The, the Tumblr, and John, where, where would that be again? Uh, the Tumblr is at jomtpodcast.tumblr.com. Thank you, John. Not to, not a problem. Thank you. I'll be saying that again soon, too. Um, uh, Till, thank you very much for doing this. Um, if if we... Well, actually, uh, you're... you're, and you're by in. the way, I, I bought uh, an, Alfred, an Alfred Hitchcock short story collection and a second-hand copy of the script. Where do I send my invoice? Uh, I'll, get, I'll, get, to... I'll get... I'll get our... Uh, <laughs> tell you what... Dude, I'll get uh, our Studio intern. City, we have an intern. We have an intern. Uh, we'll be in touch with you from our uh, licensing department. I'll have them email you like uh, within a week, if that works. Just fine. Just uh, leave your leave your information after the program. Um, but yeah, so uh, you okay? You are in the U.S. right now, right? Yes, this is where I live. Oh, 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 actually, I thought you were just visiting. Okay, great. No, well, no. then, well, then no, if we wanted... County. Oh, well, if we wanted to bug you to uh, talk about a 90s one, perhaps even... Definitely, uh, Columbo, the I've watched a lot of them at the time. Okay. Oh, see, that's good, because I've watched two or three times, there. I've got a huge gaps there, so... And I've watched the first third of the Ripped Horn one several times and never finished it. <laughs> well, then that's the one we will do. <laughs> Face your fears. <laughs> Break through that. Okay, so we will probably uh, be imposing on you in the future to do one of that's those. That's fine with me. That's, that's kind of our plan is, um, and this is a warning to any of them who are still listening to the show after all this time, um, after the, this many episodes. If you're on and we talked about a 90s one, I mean an eight, a 70s one, we're probably going to bring it back for a 90s one. I'm sorry. That's what you signed up for without actually signing up for it. But that's the cross you have to bear, people. Consider yourself warned. Well, thank you for doing thing. If people want to uh, check out what you're doing, uh, where should they go online? Uh, sitcomclub.com. I'm part of a podcast mm-hmm. called The Sitcom Club. Uh, it's probably not got a great crossover appeal in the U.S. because we're parochial and insular. We talk about British sitcoms, generally of the 70s and 80s, and we talk about them in a way that people who've watched a lot of them would understand. I'm doing a really bad job of selling it. <laughs> We're, no, no, no. Wanna, We're normally wanna, weekly. We also have a monthly counter podcast. All that, like, I want to counter all that negative stuff you just said because I had never heard of Man About the House. And the only reason I started watching it was because I listened to your podcast episode on it. What, well, what's that one? The Ropers. We, once a year yeah. we do an American show. Oh, that's I, the one that the Ropers... Some bad things about who's the boss. That's the one that... Wait, Man About... <laughs> oh, wait. wait. So which one is... Which, which American show is um, uh, Man About the Three, House? Three's Company. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. The, all three. The, there was Man About the House, spin off into George and Mildred, and oh. also Robin's Nest, and all of those spin-offs, Both of those spin-offs were made right. in the wait in the so, U.S. So. so they weren't even the spin-offs weren't even original spin-offs. The spin-offs nope. were remakes nope. of spin-offs. That's the Ropers is a remake of George and Mildred. And if you want to go to sitcomclub.com, Find the one where we talk about the Ropers. You may find that enlightening because we talk a lot about the differences 
between George and Mildred Roper in the UK and Stanley and Helen Roper. And we talk a lot about class differences between UK and US society. So they didn't even change the last name. Oh, my God. I say so. We also have a monthly podcast called Jaffa Cakes with Proust where we talk about things that are not sitcoms. But again, it's talking about uh, old British movies and TV. That's fine. That's good. That's a good thing. I mean, we we started talking about the Bob Newhart thing on a Columbo podcast five ten minutes ago. This is no, it's it's, yeah, no. I, it, actually, we have a lot. Of, I think we have a lot of folks in Canada. We have a few listeners over uh, in the UK too. So I think that would hopefully pick up some folks to go and check that out. So they would they would they would actually know what you're talking about. And I'm I didn't even know the Ropers were ripoffs, for that matter. Well, the, I'm, I'm surprised. There, there, there are at differences, that. and unfortunately, I think it works against the Ropers. That they're using scripts that have been ran, written around characters who evolved a certain way. Oh, and also, just uh, for the, from the basic part of it, it was a bad show. Like, oh, oh boy. Yeah, I saw, caught, saw caught part of it uh, the other night, flipping channels, and I was like, oh, right, this was, this was terrible. So I'm sure the, the British version was much, much better. With, with yeah, and they, they made a movie of the British version. Wait, what? There was a Which Ropers they, movie? They make Wait. movies of pretty much all yeah. the British TV shows, don't they? My God! They, yes, they did in the 70s and 80s, and George and Mildred, the movie, was one of the things that killed off the British sitcom movie for <laughs> about 15 years. All right, then. Great. <laughs> that must have felt good. Oh, speaking of we're in a long, nice tradition of this. Like, oh, they've stopped doing them now because of us. Well, <sighs> Okay. So when you go to parties, that's what people bring up. All right, you're the ones who killed that off. <laughs> I would have had a film next year, but thanks. Thanks for doing that. They stopped. Now it's mud. Thank you. Um, oh, sorry, but thank you again for the show. And yes, people, go uh, listen to those podcasts. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't ask overall. Actually, this is the thing we always do. Uh, what, uh, just kind of, John, what's your rating of this episode? Uh, 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 just out of nowhere, huh? Yes. Uh, I'll give it. I'll give it seven and a half out of ten. Hands falling on a piano. Key. There we go. That's all I wanted. All right. All right. Well, thank you. That's the show for this time around. If you want to listen to more episodes, just one more thing, you can go to our website, jomtpodcast.com, or we're on all of your major uh, podcast services, including, of course, iTunes. Uh, please do leave us some sort of review or starred thing. That might push us up above the uh, Gilligan's Island podcast or the Fraser podcast. But boy, that'd be nice. At least get above those things. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter uh, for updates and links, we share a bunch of stuff that people post online. We answer questions pretty yeah, somewhat quickly. Uh, that's uh, twitter.com slash jomtpodcast. There's a Tumblr that John mentioned earlier, jomtpodcast.tumblr.com. I think that's everything that we have on the internet for this thing. Uh, but yeah, that's the program. Um, I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Oh, listen, just one more thing. When a brilliant psychiatrist cleverly diagnoses his wife's own demise, who you gonna call? Lieutenant Columbo, police. Peter Falk and Gene Barry star in Columbo Prescription Murder. To Lieutenant Columbo, there's no such thing as a perfect murder.